last night. Tinesara spoke about the handful of leaves as compared to all the leaves in the forest. That simile that the Buddha offered to reflect on the essential nature of the Four Noble Truths. Or the Four Ennobling Truths, as Tennyson said, because they're a dynamic contemplation rather than facts that one memorizes and grasps as my knowledge. First ennobling truth, there is dukkha. There is that which is hard to bear. There is suffering. Second ennobling truth, there is that which leads to suffering, the origin of suffering. Third noble truth, there is the cessation of suffering. Fourth, ennobling truth, there is a path leading to the cessation of suffering. There is suffering, there is that which is dukkha, not perfect. From the most intense pain of falling and uh, breaking our leg, it's not easy to be with to that. distress that we can't even articulate, not really feeling at home, not being able to really settle. That experience from the intense pain to just an angst, an unsatisfactoriness, the exhortation, the opportunity for practice, the Buddha said, is to understand it, to stand under it, or as Tanisra was describing, open to it rather than being ashamed, finding someone to blame, feeling, oh, woe is me, that I unexpected gateway, unexpected gateway to our home ground, to the sacred land is through is by meeting, opening to, reflecting on the experience itself. The world teaches if there's pain, just get rid of it. Gosh, you're experiencing pain? Can't you take something? Not to put down medicines. Medicines are useful. But when deep in our psyche, the idea is that pain is somebody's done something wrong, maybe there's even a suit in here somewhere. 
someone's to blame, that we just fix it, get rid of it, then one, the movement, to, the escape from suffering is going somewhere else. What a powerful suggestion. Open to it. What we open to, like a worry, rather than having to fix it, think, think, think till we can get to the end of it, though there is a place for thinking. But if we never ever really open to worry, allow it to be, then even if we get rid of it by someone says, what you need to do is, Kitty Sorrow says, oh, (laughs) then worry comes back, it seems real. It still is real. It's been reified. hasn't been investigated. It's a thing. It's a problem. And you got to have Kitty Sorrow, <laughs> what he said didn't work. Tanisra said, I knew that guy was a little bit suspicious. Tanisra <laughs> said, so those work for a while. But if one's really going to be free from doubt, at some point we have to see worry. And in allowing it, being open to it, then one has the opportunity to sense how it's sustained, how it's fueled, how it becomes a thing that we then identify with. You start to see the second ennobling truth, this, this craving for certainty, this attachment to that which pleases us. looking for that answer, looking for that pleasing abiding, looking for what I really am and being able to stay there, secure it. One of the translations of dukkha is, well, remember that you know, in our reflection on the Buddhist teachings, the Buddha said these five focuses of the mind that tends to grasp, the five focuses of the grasping mind are dukkha, what are the focuses? Those things we take to be me, the body, form, body or my possessions, my loved ones, my land, my oil, my country. Feeling, pleasing feeling, painful feeling, perception, formations, consciousness. One of the translation is unreliable. Sometimes if we mistranslate it, we think, oh, it means the world is, is the world's dukkha. I, I suspected that. And that really the end of suffering is somehow, you know, getting away from this. So if dukkha looks like a, a value judgment, we're misunderstanding it. It's nothing wrong with the world. It's the grasping mind that's asking from the world, asking from conditions what they can't be demanding from the conditions of life what is not in the nature of conditions to offer. So unreliable comes from this this changing nature. If we lean on, you know, I'm tired. I get tired a lot. I'm looking for, oh, there's a, used to, I spent three years in the monastery after I told you the other day I got really sick, then I got typhoid, then I almost died, then for Years after that, I was 
bad news. For about three years, I could barely get up. I laid down almost all the time. When I did get up, I was checking, scanning the place for the next wall on the way that I could lean on. Now, if you lean on something, you're putting some trust there. If you lean on something and it collapses, we lose our balance. We fall. One of the definitions of this grasping, craving, grasping is that not only we lean, but we actually climb up onto a condition. Take it to be me. We lean on health. I'm the champion wrestler. Or I have vitality. If we lean on it, climb up on it, and really assume that, identify with that, then it, it can be quite a loss of balance when we're faced with sickness. We can lean on a pleasant mood. Yes, oh, I knew I was going to break through. Yes. Oh, finally, home. Home. Oh, Kitty Sarlton is her. Oh, Buddha. 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 Previous Buddhas. Christ. All the saints, the sages. Ah, hallelujah. And then meanwhile, the, the manager says, excuse me, you haven't done your job today. You know, God, do you realize what's been backing up back there? And then suddenly, oh, you know, and it all collapses. When you lean on something, and, and so it's not a value judgment, but that's where the translation of dukkha is unreliable is very helpful. You rely on it, and its nature, its nature is changing. Not as a defect. Not as a defect. But when we don't know that, we just, when that collapses, we think, oh, you're the defect, then we look for the next one. <laughs> next success, next person. I've fallen out in love with you. <laughs> you let me down. I thought she was spiritual. <laughs> then we see someone else. Oh, wow, look at the... The eyes are like <laughs> crystals. She lights up the universe. Then we, we go there. And, and then she goes and lets us down too. Women. So at some point, if we're turning to suffering rather than blaming, if we're turning and contemplating this experience, at some point we start to sense this grasping. And Ajahn Chah, our teacher, would call it a very important experience. When we had come to the monastery, he would often say, Bhamai, which means, do you hear the sound of that word? Bhamai. <laughs> Are you bored yet? <laughs> Are you weary? How many times do we have to grasp some condition, some circumstance, some, and, and for it to let us down before we start to think, hey, wait a minute. Maybe I'm looking in the wrong place. That weariness is not a sickness. It's a, it's a ripening of our spirituality because that, that, that indigestion, because you're. <laughs> that's called the beginning of the great reversal. 
the coming home. Because then when we start to realize, yes, everything's changing. If I'm expecting, uh, looking for certainty or ultimate happiness in a condition, of course I'm going to suffer. It's not in the... And we start realizing, oh, we've been getting it wrong. So when in contemplating change, seeing that things are changing, the, the grip starts to loosen. We start to let go and experience what's called, the Buddha called Rubiraga, a fading, a, a dispassion. That's what our mindfulness practice, we start to establish ourselves in being with how things are. And as we start to see things changing, we then start to realize it's, it's not just stuff out there, but this is all arising and ceasing in an awareness. We start to notice the heart itself. It's not a question of just rejecting conditions, because that's another attachment. Then we're looking for certainty and not feeling anything. You know, I could put in the suggestion box, you know, uh, IMS, maybe you should give everyone a little sensory deprivation tank. It could be green, you know, we could hook it up to not much solar, maybe wind, not much wind. We'll figure that part out later. But just so that everybody is just not feeling anything. But is that the end of suffering? Then a sound or a bubble or an itch? By turning to the conditions, turning to the suffering, and seeing that the nature of things is changing. That's the secret. So as we start to let go, let go of that leaning, as long as we keep leaning and conditions keep collapsing as they do, we keep falling. When we little by little cease leaning, we find our balance again in truth. We can rest in the truth, be balanced in truth. So in the third ennobling truth, the, the ending of suffering that needs to be experienced. So the second truth needs to be, the grasping needs to be relinquished, let go of. We practice letting go of this clutching. That ripens in the third ennobling truth, the ending of suffering needs to be experienced in a moment, just for a moment. Might come back the next moment. Even a moment, big beginning. And that's by embracing birth and death. Embracing this changeability. How ironic that the more we open to birth and death, things are arising and ceasing. Birth and death, we don't have to speculate about well, how old am I going to be when the body dies and all this and that and this and that? And where am I going to be? Will it be violent? I hope it's not violent. The Buddha said, you want to contemplate birth and death, contemplate the time it takes to breathe in, the time it takes to breathe out. Contemplate swallowing. Contemplate a sound that's here and gone. Birth, death. In-breath, there it is, it's an in-breath. I've got one, I've had a mindful in-breath, and it's, it's gone. Out-breath. 
In-breath. Out-breath. Sound is very good. It's there and it's gone. Born and dying. Born and dying. Born and dying. How can we find solidity by holding to that? Born and dying. So in letting go of that demand, letting go of that demand, letting birth and death be just what it is, noticing the suchness, noticing what remains. Tanisra spoke last night about the Four Noble Truths and the, the disciple named Kandanya who was the first one to break through, have a taste of Nibbana. He wasn't fully enlightened, but his Dhamma eye opened. He entered the stream. And then the Buddha gave him the name Anya Kandanya. Kandanya who knows. As I mentioned the other night, he knows that what arises ceases. What's born, what's dying. The skillful means that helped him do that was, an, was just an analogy of host and guest. Host and guest. When you go on a holiday and you find a hotel or an inn or a nice place, the guests come and go, come and go, come through, ooh, beautiful place, not such a good place. They come and go. But the host remains. The host is home. What's coming and going? All these kundas, sounds. In-breath, out-breath, forms, feelings, feeling pleased, I see, I understand. Feeling kind of bored, or neutral, slightly painful. Feeling confused. These are guests. Where's the host? What remains? When each sound arises and dies, is that the end? It's the end of what you call that sound, but isn't our inner listening, isn't the refuge Buddha, whatever you want to call it, isn't the Kuan Yin. Any name you give it is another one of the guests. It's God arising, ceasing. No, 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 no. It's the ultimate truth arising, ceasing. No, no, no. It's the higher self arising, ceasing. Who cares what you call it? The guest comes and goes, and because we've been so focused outwardly, but then we felt the burning, so we start returning, letting go, letting go, letting go, and then starting to notice the arising, ceasing, and what remains. Anything that's a guest is dukkha. It's unreliable. There's nothing wrong with it, but when you grasp it, it turns into pain, turns into birth and death, turns into endless wandering. So one of the great ways of uh, entering this Third Noble Truth and tasting is learning to acknowledge the birth and death of moments. Just be, continue practicing, but born, dying with each breath, and letting go with the out-breath getting a sense of resting as the host in the home ground, in the Buddha seat, 
of our own true nature. Resting in the spaciousness of our nature. We've been so focused on the conditions themselves, we haven't noticed this background. Another one of the famous teachings of the Buddha from what was called the um, Vajra Sutra, the Diamond Sutra, is the Buddha said, all conditions, all these circumstances are like dreams, illusions, bubbles, shadows, like dewdrops in a lightning flash. Contemplate them thus. That thus is a very important word. Thus reminds us, be here with it as it is. We don't have to go somewhere else. Thus. All conditions are like dreams, illusion, bubbles. The bubbles there seem so real, and it's gone. Then you say, it's nothing, but there it is again. And it pops, it's gone. Whatever you say about it, you try to fix it as a nothing, then there it is again. Oh, it's something, then it's gone. It's a nothing. Nothing something, nothing something. That's all the mind wanting to pin it down. Is it? Isn't it? Make up your mind. Is it? Isn't it? Any physicists here? Light, it's a wave. No, 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 it's a particle. It's a wave. The mind wanting to grasp, but if we just open to it, we realize certain conditions, it seems to be that. Boom, boom, boom. Lightning flash. We live in South Africa, or did for 14, 15 years. We're starting to spend more time just now back here now, but we have a hermitage there. One of the highest incidents of lightning in the world where we live, the Dragon Mountains, the Drakensberg Mountains. And in the summertime, right now, usually, virtually every afternoon gets hot and a big storm comes. And sometimes it even goes into the evening and awesome thunder. And the lightning, I never knew lightning had a purple haze on it until I got to Africa. And the show, and then, yikes, look at that. Then, but, then it disappears, and I, I want to see another one. And then, and then you, but try to grasp it. And when one's so excited, you're always trying to get it. So thrilling. But being a contemplator, and you start to realize, oh, all conditions are like night, lightning. It's there, and its nature is to be there in a flash and gone. But where does all the lightning flashes merge? What remains unmoving? The vastness of the night sky. We're so focused on things, we haven't noticed our, our stillness, the background, the sky-like nature of our awareness. Wisdom, as I on the opening night said, wisdom overcomes all conditions. Panyuttarasabhetama, when our wisdom sees that conditions are changing, realizing the suffering that comes from asking a chicken to be a duck, asking a river to flow the other way, 
asking conditions not to change. Wisdom realizes that and relinquishes. And the Buddha said, we're muttisarasabedama. And when we do that, every condition then reveals its inherent vimutti, freedom, spaciousness. Because all conditions are arising and ceasing within this ground, this spaciousness, this unmoving suchness. And the Buddha went on to say, Amatogadasabhetama. All these conditions merge in the deathless, they, but they become one, they merge. What does that mean? Our concepts make us think there's you and me and tomorrow and yesterday, and we're so focused out, we don't see. It just seems like separation. But when we start to contemplate change, we realize that all these conditions arise and cease back into suchness, into the heart itself. It's just an analogy, but analogies can help us. The Buddha often gave analogies to help us to see. It's like waves. We look at the waves. Again in Africa, we, we, when we come out of the mountains, we go down to the Durban coast in South Africa. When we first got there, I was showing off. Tanisra was a little more timid, but I was showing off. Look at those big waves. I'll just go run in. Big waves coming in. I ran into the water and got just crunched. <laughs> Thought my neck had broken crunched into the sand. I stood up. It had ripped my suit off. I didn't even know it. <laughs> there goes my uh, uh, showing off. But, you know, so you tend to look and think, whoa, that's a scary wave. And then, oh, that's a surfing wave. There's surfers there. And, oh, those beautiful little, little rivulets. And, uh, and, but, you know, when the wave comes in and crashes on the shore of the rocks, you don't say, oh, isn't that tragic? God. You know, you think it's a wave, it's going back to the sea. But consciousness focuses on the superficial appearance, the big wave, the little wave. Ooh, that's a safer wave. But when you look, the waves are rooted in depth, rooted in the one. It's just an analogy. But when our consciousness focuses on the objects, my body, me, you. When we've lost touch with awareness itself, it's just like seeing the surface waves and not noticing depth. When we start to contemplate, seeing things as they are, rising and ceasing, getting a feeling for this home territory, then we realize every condition arises and ceases right into the depth of the heart itself, the knowing the inner listening, whatever we call it. So practicing today, embracing death, birth and death, let each in-breath and out-breath teach us, yes, things arise and cease, but get a feeling for this host, that which remains. Don't be afraid of thought, too. Every thought is not the problem. 
So when we look to a thought, thinking the thought's going to tell us who we are, oh, I'm a good person, oh, thank goodness. I'm a terrible person, oh, dear. I'm good and terrible, that's getting more complicated. <laughs> let the thought, it comes, and then let it cease back. Our teachers in the monastery encouraged us to learn to let the thought be there and then get a feeling for the little gap at the end of the thought. He called it the gap getting a feeling like the guest is there, and at the end of the thought, getting a sense of the background. It, it doesn't go anywhere. The space. Our great sage, uh, Nisargadatta, described it as, even the simple thought, I am. Let that thought be there, but then let the thought dissolve into the silence. Notice the I am wants to be good, bad, this, that. We're seeing that that leads to suffering. But we're just letting the thought take us back to the gap, to the presence, to the suchness. So as we're breathing in, breathing out, with each in-breath, Sustain attention with each out-breath. You might even whisper, let go. Let go of chasing. Allow ourselves to be the host, the compassionate mother. Like a mother with a child on a swing. The child is is swinging forward and then the child swings back and we just touch on the in-breath the child for a moment, breathing in and then breathing out, letting go, letting the condition, the child swing out, resting in the ground of our being, the depth of our being, the inner listening. And when the breath comes back, the child comes back, we just touch lightly, practicing letting be, letting go. getting a feeling for consciousness in its unsupported place. We can touch conditions but not lean on them so much, still maintaining our balance in the home ground. Wisdom overcomes all conditions. Every circumstance reveals freedom in its essence. All things merge. All the sense of separateness merges. It comes together in our true undying nature. There is completion. Completion in Nibbana. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.